السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Can someone just give me a mic check please make sure that inshallah I can someone can hear me Okay, جزاكم الله خيرا طيب بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله النبي المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So welcome to a, um, another class of our Quranic Progression QP year 3 and we are inshallah ta'ala today going to conclude with the tafsir of Surah Al-Zalzala so for the last couple of weeks uh, we've been uh, so we've started and we've we've discussed a number of the verses of this Surah of the Quran Surah Al-Zalzala and Surah Al-Zalzala is a Surah that we're very familiar with it's one of those Surahs that we often hear being recited that we recite ourselves that we've memorized from the smaller shorter Surahs of the Quran and it is an extremely powerful surah, and its uh, theme, if you like, and, and the message that we've we've heard and we've discussed over the past few weeks revolves around Yom Al-Qiyam and the Day of Judgment, which is, as we know, one of the major themes and one of the major concepts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, in particular with the Makki surahs. And it is, and I think this is a point that we, um, that we should remember, that one of the greatest ways of strengthening our iman, which is one of the reasons why Allah Azza wa Jal focuses on Yawm Al-Qiyamah in these Meccan, Meccan surahs, in the early revelations in particular, is because it is one of the greatest methods and ways and manners in which we strengthen our iman, and in which we, uh, by which we come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when you know that your life is limited and finite and that you're soon going to die, and that that, that is not the end, but that is only a mere st- a gap or a stopgap between this life and between what is the eternal life, wherein Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold us to account and judge us for our deeds, and then Allah azza wa jal will reward or punish accordingly. That understanding and that constant message and reinforcing that message that Allah azza wa jal, as he does subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout these surahs in the Quran, it is something which then allows us to understand the importance of this concept of Yom Al-Qiyamah. So Allah azza wa jal does this in numerous ways in the Quran. From those ways is the ways that we've seen in Surah Al-Qari and Surah Al-Zalzala. And that is to show to us the gravity of that day and how major an event it's going to be and the way that it's going to strike and the way that it's going to happen, the almost extraordinary circumstances that will take place as a result of the striking and the coming of Yawm Al-Qiyamah, the establishment of the hour. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran uses numerous names and descriptions to speak about Yom Al-Qiyamah. And this is a concept that we've mentioned and repeated a number of times over the last couple of years, that one of the uh, one of the methods of eloquence in the Arabic language, one of the styles that the Arab, Arabs used to use to show and denote importance to something, was to give that thing multiple names, multiple ways by which you refer to the same element. So the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, these are things that in our religion have numerous names. So Allah azza wa as we know, has many names that he is known by subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has numerous names by which he is referred to, and some of them are mentioned in a hadith. And the Qur'an is referred to in the Qur'an, and, as, and by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, by a number of names. 
and from and following in and on line with that or in line with that is Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And so Yawm Al-Qiyamah also has a number of names. So from the descriptions and the names of Yawm Al-Qiyamah and the ways in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala highlights to us its importance is what is being done in this particular surah in Surah Tuzzal So last week we mentioned, uh, I think we did it, we did verses three to five, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after mentioning the open two verses, the opening two verses, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the earthquake that will strike on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And as a result of the striking of the earthquake and the establishment of the hour, everything within the earth will be resurrected, meaning all of the deceased within the earth will be resurrected. There is even a hadith to show that that resurrection isn't just limited to humans and jinn, but that it's even something which stretches beyond these two species to the animal world. Because we know from the hadith in which the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he was speaking about the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on Yawm al-Qiyamah is that Allah azza wa will mention to us the um, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on Yawm al-Qiyamah mentions or the Prophet sallallahu mentioned how Allah azza wa jalla on Yawm al-Qiyamah will judge between the two animals, the horned animal, the ram, and the unhorned animal. Where the horned animal gouged or attacked or injured, the unhorned animal Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cause a, a justice to be done between them even though both of them are not uh, from the creations that Allah Azza wa has, has told to act in a certain way. They don't have the concept of free will. They haven't been told to follow a certain message or something. They are just animals that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. But even so, to show the utmost justice of Allah Azza wa Allah also causes the justice to come between them. And that is uh, to show, therefore, uh, as is mentioned by some of the scholars, that there is a concept that even goes beyond humans and jinn, that even the animals will be resurrected and the rights of those animals will be settled before, again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to do with them as he pleases, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we mentioned this in the last uh, couple of weeks, verse 1 and 2. Last week we spoke about verses 3, 4 and 5. So Allah says, وَقَالَ الْإِنسَانُ مَا لَهَا And we said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions how when the people are resurrected on Yawm Al-Qiyamah and because of how how uh, amazing that situation will be. And amazing doesn't sound, uh, you know, to me, the right word, because it is amazing in the sense that it is something which is magnificent and great and, and major. It is something which will amaze people, but not amazing in the sense that people will come and be pleasantly amazed, but rather people will be in a state of shock and in a state of of of, of almost, uh, especially for the disbelievers, of an amazement in which they don't understand what is going on. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they will speak and they will ask, what is happening to us? What is going on? Why is everything in the earth and around us that we recognized as being part of the earth and the sky and the heavens as we knew them and recognized them and were familiar with them? Why is it that all of that has changed in this time? And Allah then says, That is the day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, then that the earth will speak and it will give testimony. It will testify for everything that took place upon its surface. So every action that we performed, every statement that we made, everywhere that we walked, everything that we did, because everything that we do takes place upon the surface of the earth, either on sea or on land or in the air. It is something which happens within the earth that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed us. The earth then will testify against us, because your Lord commanded it to do so, inspired it to do so. These five verses which if you like, if you were to divide the surah into kind of two, these five verses would be the opening 
of the surah and then the last three verses that inshallah ta'ala we will we will try to uh, take the tafsir of today would be the conclusion of the surah the opening of the surah sets the scene this is the the uh, major event of yawm al-qiyamah and the major event of what will take place on that day and all of the way that the people will come and that they will be resurrected in the sunnah goes as as i'm sure we're all familiar goes into great detail concerning the resurrection how people will be resurrected and the way that the sun will be brought close to the heads of creation how people will sweat profusely some of them depending on their level of sins some of them up to their ankles and others to their knees and other others of them all the way up to their nose as if they are almost drowning within their sweat and on that day there will be no shade except the shade that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to people and the day where as Allah Azzawajal mentions again in, in Surah Al-Hajj when he speaks about the earthquake of that day, that is the day when the breastfeeding woman neglects her child and when the, when, the, when the pregnant woman miscarries and when the child becomes old in age, meaning their hair grows white. And you think that the people are in a state of drunkenness because of not knowing. And again, this is similar to what Allah Azzawajal is saying here. insanu they don't understand what's going on. It's almost as if they're lost, they're, they're drunk, they don't have any ability or to or command of their senses. They don't know what's going on. And Allah says, but they are not drunk. They haven't lost their faculties. It's not that they can't understand what's going on. It's because the amazement of what's going on or the situation is beyond their comprehension, at least initially. And Allah says, but rather the punishment of Allah is, is greatly severe. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sets this scene for us, sets this picture for us, and that is from the beauty of the Qur'an which in the way that it speaks about Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Because what we're meant to do then from these verses after we've understood the tafsir, after we've understood what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us and the message that Allah azza wa is imparting to us, this is the time then that we should stop and reflect and think. Stop and reflect and think about what it is and how it would be to stand on that day of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And that for us, in you know, for the vast majority of people, doesn't mean Yom Al Qiyam in and of itself, but it means the minor day of judgment that all of us will experience before it, and that is death. Because once death comes, then that's the end of it, and that is why you have multiple hadith in which the Prophet وسلم, told people to think about death and ponder over death and contemplate death, because that is a mini Yom Al Qiyamah. It is the day of judgment for most people because after that their actions are very limited in terms of what they can afford to do unless they have left behind some type of sadaqajariya or some type of good that is continuous that they will continue to benefit from but otherwise it is a concept again and that is why when the Arab man the Bedouin came from the desert and he said to the Prophet when is the hour and the Prophet narration was time for salah so the Prophet ﷺ led the companions in prayer. Then after the prayer, as was his custom, and he would speak to people and answer their questions. And some of the scholars said that that is from the hikmah, from the wisdom of why the imam, after the salah, he turns around and faces the congregation. From the wisdom of that, some of the scholars mention, is that it is therefore a time and an opportunity for people to question the imam and to ask about the affairs of their religion, or for the imam himself to give a reminder or to speak about some issue that will benefit the community. He said, the Prophet ﷺ said, where is the questioner? Who asked about the hour? The man said, I, O Messenger of Allah. The Prophet ﷺ doesn't respond by answering the question because he wants to know a time, he wants to know a date, he wants to know when Yawm Al-Qiyamah will strike. But instead, the Prophet ﷺ, as he often does through his amazing way, the Prophet ﷺ goes to the crux and the heart of the matter, and that is, وَمَا أَعْدَتْ تَرَهَا But what have you prepared for it? 
What have you done for Yawm Al-Qiyamah? Because whether it's today or tomorrow or next year or next month or in a hundred years or a thousand or a million years time, the question isn't when it will come. The question is, are you prepared for it when it does come? Because when you die, your Qiyamah more or less has been established. And that is why you see, if you were to look at, and I know we're kind of going slightly off tangent, but I think it's an important point when we come to contemplate over this over this particular verse. We, uh, when when you look at the Sunnah generally and the and the and the methodology and the mindset of the companions, especially when it came to issues like trials. You know, one of the difficulties that we have today is when we look at trials. And we think about trials, like we're going through a trial right now, whether it's COVID-19, whether it's you know wars that are taking place across the world, whether it's poverty and famine, whether it's people losing their jobs, trials, there are so many trials. And then the greater trials when people now think that these, you know, COVID or whatever it may be is a prelude to Yom Al-Qiyamah, or these are some of the signs of Yom Al-Qiyamah coming, or there's some great conspiracy going on, whatever it may be, and however it may be. One of the things that we find it difficult now to do is to understand how to deal with trials and how to navigate through them. And what is the mindset and the approach of the Muslim vis-a-vis trials that come to them? And that is a major issue because those trials will only increase and become more severe. And you find people who, if they understand their religion, they understand the Qur'an, they take the lessons from the Qur'an, even the greatest of trials won't move them. They're like a stable mountain doesn't matter, a hurricane comes, a tornado comes, earthquakes come, the mountain is stable and it remains standing. Yes, some rocks may fall, and yes, at times pebbles may fall, and yes, because they are human at the end of the day, and even mountains will at times, you know, some of its rocks may fall, there may be an avalanche, so you will have their times when they have problems, but generally, the mountain is stable and it is standing, and it will remain standing. Whereas other people, even the slightest wind, the slightest breeze, someone just blows at them, and they will fall over like a autumn leaf from a tree that even the slightest breeze because that, that that leaf no longer has life within it no strength to hold on to the branch it just flies and it is taken by the wind any way it wishes when the prophet used to speak to the companions about trials so you look at the trials of the of the dajjal that are mentioned in numerous hadith you look at the trials of how the muslims would face war and they would have to fight with other people, and they would be fighting the Romans and the Persians, and then later on the the, the Turk, what is known as the the Mongol Empire, that will later take place. If you look at, for example, the Prophet speaking about the trials of Yom Al Qiyamah and the trials of the signs of the Day of Judgment, all of those trials, you rarely find the companions of the Prophet وسلم, becoming so uh, worked up, so upset, so uh, you know paranoid about those issues that every single thing that they see, they think, oh, it's Yom Al Qiyamah, or they. And interpret it in such a way that it becomes a major event, even though it may not be such a major event. But what the Prophet taught the companions to do is to understand that yes, that trial is coming. What I need to do is I need to find a way to navigate through that in, in the way that is most pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even if Yom Al-Qiyamah was to come tomorrow, how am I prepared for it? Yes, that the Jal may come. But the Prophet ﷺ told us in the hadith that it's not the Dajjal that I'm so worried for you about because the vast majority of my ummah won't meet the Dajjal, won't see the Dajjal, won't experience the Dajjal, won't live to be in the time of the Dajjal. What I am more worried for you is what is called hidden shirk, showing off, trying to impress others instead of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with sincerity. That is more dangerous for you as an ummah. So the Prophet ﷺ is trying to give us that ability to 
to stabilize ourselves, to to solidify our position, our iman, to make us stable in terms of the way that we deal with these issues. And so the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, even if you look at the hadith of the Dajjal, when the Prophet ﷺ is speaking about it in great detail and what will happen on that day, question that the companions have foremost in their mind is, O oh, Messenger of Allah, how do we pray on that day? Right? The Dajjal will come for 40 days. A day is the length of a year. A day is the length of the month. A day is the length of a week. And then every day is a, sim- a normal day. Or Messenger of Allah, if the day is the length of a year, how do we pray on that day? That's what they want to know. It's not about weapons and tactics and soldiers and what do we do and what don't we do and where do we go and how. It's how do we pray because the companions understood. If you're still establishing salah, when the Dajjal is going on with all of the mayhem and the chaos and the confusion and the trials and the distractions and the traps of the dunya, if you're still praying five times a day, worshipping Allah, then inshallah that is a good sign for you. That's a sign that Allah wants khair for you, wants good for you, that you've passed that test. But if you know everything else and you know all the details, but when the Dajjal strikes, you don't have iman, you're not praying, you lose your religion, you lose that type of iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that is a major issue. And so therefore, I think it is important to understand when we read these verses of the Quran, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala focuses us as well, and how the Prophet used to focus us, to focus on what is important. And two, you know, one of the traps of shaitan is he throws everything into, you know, if you like the cauldron, right? Everything into the pot. And what that happens, what happens then is we get confused and distracted. And it's very difficult to peel away all of those layers, take away all of all of the rubbish and get to what is the crux of the issue, what is important and what to deal with. And so that is what the Quran and the Sunnah help you do when you understand the methodology of the Quran, the methodology of the Prophet وسلم, in the way that he taught his companions when you understand that methodology what it helps you to do is to take away the, the distractions of everything else and to focus on what is important and if we could do that individually every time I have a trial, whether that's a personal trial, whether it's just for my family whether it's for my community that I live in it's my city, it's my masjid it's my extended family, it's my friends whatever it may be, or it's the ummah in general if we all knew how to establish ourselves and navigate through these issues, then we would find, inshallah ta'ala, a very different way in the way that the Muslims react and in the way that the Muslims are, are behaving. And so that's an important issue because we live in a time, especially now, with everything that's going on with so many of these conspiracy theories and so many of these issues that are going on, it is something which is irrelevant because the Quran and the Sunnah never told us to focus on the what's and the ifs and the maybes and who and the why. And that's not important to us. What is important to me first and foremost, especially if those things are not even in my control anyway, nothing I can do about it. I can't change the world. I can't, I'm not in a position of authority that I can do something about those things anyway. What is more most important for me is what the Quran tells us to focus on when he says, Ya amanu. Or you who believe, save yourselves and your families from the fire. That's your main goal in this dunya. And if you achieve that, then you are successful. doesn't matter what anyone does or says or how you're harmed or whatever may come across your way in terms of affliction and trial and disaster and hardship and calamity. That is success for you. Save yourselves and your families from the fire. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these first five verses of Surah Az-Zalzala is telling us the importance of this issue of what will happen on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. But now the crux of the issue will come in verses 6, 7 and 8. And that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, On that day, 
people will come forward in separate groups to be shown their deeds. So everything that happens before the earthquake, people being resurrected, people being in a state of confusion, the earth giving testimony and witness, Allah commanding the earth to speak about everything that is so and bore witness to. What is the point of all of that? What is the conclusion? What is the result? On that day, people will come forward in their groups to see, to see and to be shown their deeds. Abdullah ibn Abbas said that the people will come in separate groups, meaning they will come from this group here and that group there. They will be placed into separate groups. And as Suddi rahimahullah ta'ala said that they will be made into ashtata, means that they will be groups. The word ashtat, and ashtat can mean uh, uh, things that are not together, things that are disunited, things that are all over the place. Ashtata can mean things that are separated. But what it means here is separate, yes, but separated in groups. So it's not individuals that one person here, one person. They are separated into groups. What are those groups? That is what the scholars of of Islam are speaking about here. Ibn Juraj, rahimahullah ta'ala, who's also from the famous scholars of tafsir and also from the famous narrators of hadith, he said that when the people will come out of their graves, they will be grouped together. And then they will never be reunited again, meaning that your group is your group. And those groups do not mix with one another. Al-Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he explained this in greater detail. What does this mean, these statements of these scholars when they say that they're groups and they're coming in separate groups? It means, as he said, rahimahullah ta'ala, and before that actually he mentions a, a point concerning the structure of the verse. He says that the verse and its structure is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, wa On that day, the earth will mention, its, its give its testimony. Because your Lord commanded and inspired it to do so. So it's as if in verse number six, the last part, should be after should be at the beginning of the verse. So Allah will command the earth to testify, and the earth will do so by the command of Allah in the way that it is inspired to do so, so that people may see the deeds that they put forth. And when that happens, and based upon that, their deeds they will be separated into groups. So if you understand what Imam al-Tabdi is saying, he's basically giving us the tafsir. What are the groups then that are being referred to? He's saying if you took, take and put it first, that the testimony of the earth groups people in terms of their deeds and what they did. We then understand what type of groupings now Allah is referring to. And that is, as he said, rahimahullah ta'ala. So then you have groups, those groups that will go and be from the right hand, the people of the right and the people of the left, meaning the people of Jannah and the people of the fire. Those people who did good will be grouped together, and those people who did evil will be grouped together. And some of the scholars said that that every single religion or every single people who followed a religion or a belief or whatever it is that they worshipped and believed in, they will be grouped together. That's what's being referred to. So all of that still comes down to the same basic issue that Allah is mentioning and that Imam al-Tabari is referring to and that is that it's based upon their deeds. And we know from the Sunnah that the Prophet told us وسلم, that on Yawm al-Qiyamah every group will be told to go and stand by the God that it worshipped. So everyone will go. So those people that worship Jesus will go and stand by Jesus. And those people who worshipped Moses will do so, go and stand by Moses if they if they worshipped him. And if they worshipped a different prophet or an angel or a, a idol or whatever it is that they worshipped, whatever concept it was, even if it was wealth, whatever, everyone goes and stands by the, what they worship, except the Muslims, except the believers. They stand where they are and they remain. 
And so when they're told to go and find their Lord, they say that when our Lord comes to us, we will recognize him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But on that until that time, we will stay here because they don't believe in any other God. They don't worship any other God. So people are being grouped together. It is based upon their Iman and it is based upon their good and their evil. So this is what Al-Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, is referring to. You have the people of the right, the people of the left, the people of Jannah, the people of the fire. Al-Imam Al-Baghawi, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his tafsir, he says something also very similar. He says that the people will come and they will stand on the land of gathering and they will be placed into groups. So those of them who will be placed in the group of the people of the right, meaning that they will be the believers, and then those who will go to the people of the left, and they are those who are disbelievers, who are disbelievers. So that they will see their deeds, meaning, as Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum and others said, that they will see the, 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 uh, the consequences of their deeds. Meaning, when you see your deeds, what is it that Allah Azza wa is showing them? The results of those deeds how that they will be rewarded or punished respectively. That is what is being referred to. And Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his tafsir, he also mentioned something very similar. And he said that the people will be resurrected on Yawm Al-Qiyamah so that they may be placed together in the groups concerning where their eventual abode will be. So the people of Jannah go towards the people of Jannah and the people of the fire go towards those people who will go towards the fire. And he also says, therefore, is referring to the, the results of their deeds. So when Allah says they will be shown their deeds, the point of them being shown their deeds is that they understand then what they will be rewarded for and what they will be uh, punished for. And here's another important point here that's important to mention as well. That Allah by mentioning this in verse number six, that the point of Yawm Al-Qiyamah is not just the issue of resurrection. Resurrection is a part of Yawm Al-Qiyamah, yes, and it is something which is extremely important, but that is not the, the goal of Yawm Al-Qiyamah, it's not just to reunite people, not just to give people another chance, it's not just to, like some in, in some beliefs and some religions, they believe in the concept of reincarnation, that if you live a good life and then you die, you become reincarnated in some other form, so if you lived a good life, then you go into a better reincarnation of yourself, you get a purer existence the next time around, and that continues to happen. Whereas if you're evil, the next time around, it becomes worse and worse and worse. That concept isn't a concept that we have in our religion. Our, our concept of resurrection is that the people are resurrected with a simple and clear goal in mind. And that is, that they may be shown their deeds and then rewarded or punished accordingly. Lest people should have that false impression, as some of the, the disbelievers did, and some of even those people who said, even if there is a day of judgment, even if we are resurrected, then it's fine. Allah will give us even more, or we'll get another chance, or we'll do something else. Allah Azza wa dispels that myth, dispels that notion, removes and rejects that idea that some people have, that Yawm Al-Qiyamah as a resurrection is not a second chance. It's not a second time you go around. It's not like the first time I didn't believe in Yawm Al-Qiyamah, I didn't believe in the Quran, I rejected everything. But now that I've resurrected, I know actually there is such a thing as Yom Al-Qiyamah. And yes, I should have believed. And yes, there will be reward and punishment. Okay, next time around, I will make sure that I do it correctly. Next time around, I will make sure that I don't make those same mistakes. Next time around, now that I know what will take place, I will work harder. That's not the concept that we have in this religion. This is the only chance that you have. And then on Yom Al-Qiyamah, you will be rewarded and punished accordingly. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this, therefore, as the result of what will happen on Yom Al-Qiyamah, so that we also dispel that notion that it's not a second chance. It's not a thing that you can go back, as some, as we know, as some of the um, 
some of the disbelievers and the people of the fire will say, Oh Allah Azzawajal, return us to the dunya. رَبَّنَا أَخْرِجْنَا نَعْمَلْ صَالِحًا غَيْرَ الَّذِي كُنَّا نَعْمَلْ As Allah says in Surah Fatir, they will say, Oh Allah, allow us to leave and go back and we will do good deeds other than the deeds that we used to perform before. Meaning, give us a second chance, this time we'll do good. And Allah will say, أَوَلَمْ نُعَمِّرْكُمْ مَا يَتَذَكَّرُ فِيهِ مَنْ تَذَكَّرُ Did we not give you sufficient time the first time around that those who wish to be reminded could have been reminded? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dispels that notion from us and this is what Allah azza wa is saying here as well. And this is what Imam al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala also mentions generally in his tafsir as well that the people will go on Yawm al-Qiyamah and they will see their actions so that the one who disbelieved will be, uh, you know, will be uh, the disbeliever will, will show regret and remorse over the actions, over the bad deeds that they performed. And even for the believer, he says that there is some regret in the sense that they wish that they should have done more good deeds. And that seems in Allah Azza wa knows best to be before they're given their reward or before they're told that they're going into Jannah. Because even on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, as the Prophet told us, that people, when they die or the person in the grave, if they were to be given the opportunity to come back to the dunya and just pray two quick short rak'ahs, it is more beloved to them than the world and everything within it. Everything within this dunya. And so that's something which they understand is something which they want because that there is a regret even for the for the believers of time that is wasted of time that they didn't spend in the greatest of manners so um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so Al-Mam Qurtubi mentions this meaning as well and then he repeats what we've already mentioned the statements of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah amongst others and Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala says something very similar that the people will be brought out in groups on that day the groups are between those who are wretched and those who will prosper, between those who are ordered to go into Jannah and those who will be taken towards the hell fire. So verse number six speaks about this concept. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then concludes this surah with verses seven and eight that are very similar, so we'll take them together. And that is that Allah says, Whosoever sees even the smallest, minutest amount of good, whoever has done even the smallest or minutest amount of good, or as um, you know, Abdul Harim, Professor Abdul Harim translates it, whoever has done an atom's weight of good, yara, they will see it. And whosoever sees even or has done even an atom's weight of evil will see it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these last two verses speaks about a very important concept and that is how Allah Azza wa Jal his scale and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's judgment on Yawm Al-Qiyamah will be so minute and so precise that even the smallest atom or the smallest measurement that is known to humans which in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is this word Dharra. Dharra can mean a grain or a seed. In some of the scholars of the past they described it as being a grain of sand. Because it's the smallest measurement or the smallest thing that they can see with the naked eye. Obviously, this is clearly before you know the invention of the microscope and people understanding you know atoms and so on and so forth. Amongst the Arabs, the word dharra is the smallest thing that you can see. So a grain of sand or even the smallest grain that you can see, the smallest seed, that is what is dharra. That is what is being referred to. Obviously, in our time, you understand now that there is something even smaller. And that's why you get a lot of these translations that now speak about atoms, weight, and so on and so forth. The point is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that even the smallest of good, the smallest of evil, 
that therefore you may dismiss, that you may think is not important, that you may think isn't something which requires a great deal of concentration upon a great deal of effort for, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying even that will be brought on Yawm Al-Qiyamah and you will be made to see it. As Allah Azza wa says in another verse, uh, Allah says, Inna Allah la yadhlimu mithqala dharra. Allah Azza wa doesn't oppress anyone even by an atom's weight. And in the other verse in Surah Al-Anbiya, وَنَضَعُوا الْمَوَازِينَ الْقِسْطَ لِيَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ فَلَا تُظْلَمُ نَفْسٌ شَيْئًا وَإِنْ كَانَ مِثْقَالَ حَبَّةٍ مِّنْ خَرْدَلٍ أَتَيْنَا بِهَا And we will place the scales of justice, Allah says, on the Day of Judgment. And we will not oppress anyone. And even if they bring the seed of a mustard, a mustard seed in, in weight of good or evil, Allah says that we will bring it forth and we will hold you to account and sufficient are we as those who hold to account. And so this is a concept then that the companions of the Prophet ﷺ understood. Right? They understood this concept. Uh, the companion Abu Darda, the famous companion of the Prophet ﷺ, he said that the concept of taqwa, of piety, of being God-conscious, of God-fearingness, he said the concept of taqwa is that you fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even to the level of a dharra that you have fear of Allah Azza wa Jal even to the level of dharra, to the extent that even though you may think that something is okay, it's permissible to do, it's halal, but you fear that as a result of it, it will take you to some type of haram, then you stop doing it. That is, even to that level, that is a type of taqwa. And that is because you fear by doing something permissible that you go into something which is haram. Right? So for example, you you know it's, it's halal for you to go and visit someone in their house. But if by going into that house, you fear that there's some going to be some haram that you have to partake in, people are going to start backbiting, people are going to start lying, there's going to be some evil that's committed there, then you have to question yourself as to whether that's something which is good or not, whether it's something which is worthwhile doing or not, if there is a greater benefit in going to, do, in going to that place or whether there is a greater harm which ensues as a result of it. He said, he said, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it clear to the people, made it clear to all of us that Allah Azza wa Jal will hold us to account even for the smallest thing that we don't think about. And the believers will see the good that they do, even if it is an atom's weight. And the disbelievers will see the evil that they do, even if it is an atom's weight. And that is the tafsir that some of the scholars gave, that the goodness is referring to the believers. So the believers see the good that they do in terms of the reward that they will see on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And the disbelievers see the good that they do in terms of what Allah gives to them from the blessings of the dunya. Because that is mentioned in some narrations when the Prophet was asked about the good that the disbelievers do. Because amongst the disbelievers, as we all know, there are people who are very generous and kind and polite, and they do a lot of good, and they're people who are good-natured and helpful and so on and so forth. What about them? Where is the sense of justice for them in terms of their reward? The Prophet said that they get that reward in this dunya. That's the goodness that they get from the blessings of the dunya, from the from the pleasures of the dunya, the comforts of the dunya. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to them. He gives it to them in this dunya. So they take the reward in the dunya. As for the believers, Allah Azza wa gives them or may give to them some of that reward in the dunya, but their reward, their actual reward, is what is being preserved on the day of judgment.
And as for the disbelievers, then they will see the evil on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And as for the believers, for the for those of them that Allah wishes to do so, they see the evil that they do in the dunya instead of the akhirah. They see it in this world. And that is the trials that they face and the calamities that they face and the disasters that they face and the hardships that they go through. That is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about. Uh, there's a nice story here of, of uh, Umar ibn Khattab just to show you the importance of, of this uh, verse and how the companions عنهم, used to consider these verses 7 and 8. They used to consider these two verses to be from amongst the most comprehensive verses of the Quran because they encapsulate for us all of everything that we need to know about our religion. Everything that you need to know is found in these two verses. That if you do the smallest amount of good, Allah will hold you to account for it. And if you do the smallest amount of evil, Allah would hold you to account for it. And so therefore, what more do you possibly need to know in terms of understanding how our, our, our time on this life will be taken into account, how we will be judged for the time that we spend in this dunya. It is said that uh, Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu an, uh, passed by a group of people. They were travelers. And so he asked them where they'd come from and they'd come from uh, a, a faraway place and he asked them where they wanted to go and they said that they were going towards Mecca to perform Umrah or to perform Hajj so Umar radiallahu an realized that amongst them were people who were learned amongst these people of travelers they seemed to be people who were knowledgeable so he wanted to test them and he wanted to see who amongst them was teaching them so one of the questions that he asked them is he said which is one of the most comprehensive verses of the Quran and they replied these two verses of Surah Al-Zalzala Whosoever does an atom's weight of good will see it. Whosoever does an atom's weight of evil will see it. He then asked them, and what is the most just verse of the Quran? They said the verse of Surah Al-Nahl, which Allah says, Allah commands you with justice and with benevolence, with goodness and excellence, and that you do good towards your relatives. He then asked them, and what is the greatest verse of the Qur'an? And they said, Ayatul Kursi. And he asked them, which is the verse of the Qur'an that gives most hope? Most hope. And they gave the verse of Surah Al-Zumar. قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَطُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ Say, O oh, my slaves who have wronged themselves, never despair from Allah's mercy. And he said to them, and which is the verse of the Qur'an that casts most fear into the heart? So that's the one of hope. What about the one that gives most fear? And they said it is the verse, Whosoever does any act of evil, Allah will hold them to account and punish them for it. After asking these questions, Umar radiallahu an said, I think amongst you is Ibn Ummi Abd. Ibn Ummi Abd is the name or the title that was given or often referred to and given to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, the famous companion from the early Muslims, from the most knowledgeable of the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'een. And they said, yes, he is amongst us, meaning that he was the one who teaches us, radiyallahu an. So the companions used to consider these verses to be extremely important They by pondering over them and contemplating over them. There are a number of hadith here that are also mentioned that speak about this concept. And it's a concept that we're, we're familiar with, the concept of even the smallest amount of good Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold you to account for. Uh, one of those hadith that I want to mention to you, which is the hadith in al-Bukhari, speaks about something which we don't often, though, concentrate upon when we speak about this particular element of good deeds and small deeds. Yes, we all know that small, the smallest of deeds will be held to account, number one. Number two, I think most of us, inshallah, are aware that often those smallest of deeds 
are deeds that we don't really reflect upon, right? We don't really concentrate upon where they're the ones that we often forget most regularly because they're not major. You make Hajj, you remember Hajj because it's such a major event, right? You uh, fasted Ramadan, you remember Ramadan because it's such a major event. We, me- we remember those big deeds that we performed. But the small stuff, the everyday stuff, the nice word, the smile here and there, the helping of someone, giving them a pound here, or helping someone with their bags, or picking up rubbish from the from the road if it's a harmful obstruction, all of those things that are small and that are we consider to be insignificant, those are the ones that we forget. And that's why the Prophet told us وسلم, in the famous hadith in Al-Bukhari, La min al-ma'rufi shay'a. Never neglect or never consider to be insignificant any act of goodness, even if it is pouring into someone's cup of water from your cup. Right? You have a glass of water and someone else has an empty glass and they ask for water and this is all that you have, so you pour some of it to them. That's something which you know you often probably do in, in a meal. You pour water for someone in your family member, you pass them a spoon, you pass them the salt, You whatever you do, you help them. Those types of actions that we consider to be something very small, the Prophet said, don't think that they are insignificant. Don't, don't dismiss them. Don't think that they aren't relevant. And then he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and even if you just to meet someone with a pleasant, smiling face, even that action of just meeting someone in a nice way is something which the Sharia uh, brings to, to, to our, our, our mind. And similar to it is the hadith, in, uh, that we know also in Sahih al-Bukhari when the Prophet said Fear the fire or save yourselves from the fire even if it is with a date stone or even if it is with a pleasant word. Right? And one narration of the hadith is that the Prophet said that a person will stand on the day of judgment and they will see in front of them fire, to the right fire, to the left fire, behind them fire, meaning they are surrounded by fire. So save yourselves from the fire, even if it is with the date stone. And that shows you the importance of that sadaqah, which as sadaqah, as an act of charity, as we know, a date stone is worthless, isn't something which will, which will be accepted by anyone. Can't really, they can't really use it. They can't benefit from it. It's not even something which they can take and use in any way. But the Prophet ﷺ is saying that act of sadaqah, if that's all you can do, your intention of giving that sadaqah is something which is extremely worthy or a generous word, a pleasant word, a good word that you say to someone. And similar to it also is the hadith in Sahih Bukhari, which the Prophet وسلم, said to the believing women, Ya Nisa al-Mu'minat, O believing women, don't dismiss any act of good that you do to your fellow neighbor, that a neighbor does to another neighbor, even if it is giving someone the boneless meat, right? The, 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 the bone that has no meat left. It's, it's something which has very little meat or no meat at all. That's what you give to them. Because from that bone, they can make a broth. They can make some type of soup. That's all you can give. They can take it and benefit from it in their own way. Even that isn't something which you should dismiss. But one of the things that we do neglect to think about is the unintended consequences of our deeds, whether good or bad. So when a person does something good, often there are unintended consequences, meaning in the sense that I want to do good to someone. So I help someone with a small amount of money or I say something nice or someone stops me to ask me a question or some advice and I give them advice. For me, it's a one-minute interaction, a two-minute conversation, you know, a five-minute email, whatever it may be. For that person, though, the way that it's affected them, the way that it changes them, the way that it impacts them, the way that it relieves some distress for them or whatever it may be, whatever it may be and however it may be, then that is something which only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows and they know. And I don't necessarily know. 
And how often maybe you've had someone who's come to you after maybe months or even years and you say, remember that time when you did that thing for me, you did that favor for me, you came and helped me at my time of need, or you just listened to me as I needed to speak to someone. You don't know how much that helped. You don't know how much that lightened my burden. You don't know how helpful that was to me. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. And that is the beauty of Allah azza wa mercy and the concept of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's reward. There is, and likewise, the opposite obviously goes to the same as well. By harming someone, by calling someone a name, by doing something which is hurtful to them. For us, again, it's a word or a very limited, very short interaction. But only Allah knows how deeply that's, that, that hurts them in their heart and how often and how long they will continue to go into that issue because of how much hurt and how much, how deeply hurt they become because of that small little interaction that we have with them. In the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu in Sahih Bukhari, the Prophet ﷺ spoke about this concept, but he spoke about it in the concept of a horse, right? a concept of a horse. And he said there are three types of horses, or a, a horse has three different ways of impacting a person. The first of them is that it gives them reward. The second of them is that it is for them some type of protection. And the third of them is that it is for them a sin. So the first person that it's a reward for is the one who takes a horse and they want to use it in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help the religion of Allah azza wa jal. So the Prophet said so long as they have that horse, they train that horse, even tying up that horse, they get reward. So that time of keeping that horse, so you want to use that horse to help the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But maybe before you come to that point where that actual horse is actually going to be used, the period between you buying the horse and using it is a period of months or even years. That time is not wasted time. That time isn't something which is just simply going to be neglected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But you're helping, you're feeding the animal, you're looking after the animal, you're tying up the animal, you're training the animal is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards you for. The Prophet said, even if that horse was to run, meaning that one day you forgot to tie up, so it runs, and it passes by a hill or two or a valley or two. The Prophet ﷺ said, even the water that it drinks from, that you have nothing to do, it's not your water, it finds a river, it finds a stream, it drinks from that stream. And even the droppings that it gives as a result of that, you get a reward for, because of the initial intention that you had. And that is the beauty of this religion. You know, the Prophet ﷺ told us something similar about the person who goes to the masjid and prays, and then they wait for the next salah. The Prophet ﷺ said they continue to be in salah so long as they are waiting for the salah. So that intention of good, even though you're just sitting there, not really doing anything or just reading Quran or maybe doing something very little, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you the reward because of what I call the unintended consequence. It's not necessarily something which you intended or completely understood or it's something which you fathom of how it's going to impact other people. Your intention is very simple in the sense that I want to please Allah by doing this good deed. What impact that good deed now has upon you and upon others? And for example, someone who comes and teaches someone how to read the Quran. You teach one person. Only Allah knows how that individual will be impacted, how they will benefit, how they will benefit others as a result of that good deed. So that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to in this surah what the Prophet is saying in this hadith in Al-Bukhari. The Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then the second person or the second type of horse is the one that a person uses as protection, meaning for their livelihood. So they're using it as a horse to ride, using it as a horse to draw a carriage for their property, for their family, for whatever. For them, it's still a good thing in the sense that it's helping them to protect themselves, their livelihood, their family, it's protecting their honor, their modesty, their, their chastity. So it's something which is good for them. 
And the third one is someone who it is for them a sin. This is the person who takes a horse and, for example, they're proud, they're arrogant, they're showing off, they're using it in a way that is causing harm, either physically or psychologically or emotionally or in some other way. The Prophet said, وسلم, then this is the person who will be sinned. And then the Prophet said, وسلم, and this is why I mentioned this verse here, because Allah, the Prophet then says at the end of the hadith, ما أنزل الله علي فيها إلا هذه الآية and Allah Azza wa Jal has not revealed to me a verse that is more comprehensive in this regard and more clear than these verses of Surah Al-Zalzalah فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرٍ يَرَهُ وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرٍ يَرَهُ And that is an amazing hadith and it is amazing in terms of its meaning. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is generally the, you know, the tafsir that you will find in Al-Qurtubi and Al-Tabari amongst others. This is the tafsir that they give of these verses of the Quran Those people who do good will see the good, those people who do evil will see the evil. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions this. And here I want to mention a point that is mentioned by uh, Sheikh Muhammad al Amin al Shaqiti, Rahimahullah ta'ala. And that is that are the disbelievers actually going to see? their good deeds on Yawm Al-Qiyamah because Allah says whoever does a good deed will see it. So would the disbelievers see their deeds of, Yawm, of good on Yawm Al-Qiyamah even though Allah Azza wa Jal for example tells us in the Quran such as in Surah Hud There are verses of the Quran that seem to show that actually the disbelievers their actions are nullified and they're rendered void so they don't see anything. So Allah Azza wa says in Surah Hud, verse number 16, and the actions that they performed will be rendered null and futile because of that which they used to do. And the verse in Surah Furqan, verse 23, And when they bring forth the actions that they performed, we will cast them into dust, meaning that we will make them null and void. And at the same time, there are verses that say the opposite for the, for the believers, Will they see the evil deeds that they performed? Will they see them also on Yawm Al-Qiyamah? Because Allah Azza wa Jal says, In tajtanibu kaba'ira ma tunhawna anhu nukaffir ankum siyyatikum. In Surah An-Nisa, verse 31, if you stay away from the major sins, Allah says that we will, we will, uh, we will cast away your evil deeds that you perform, meaning from the minor sins. And Allah Azza wa Jal says for those people who don't uh, perform shirk, وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءِ In Surah An-Nisa also, that Allah Azza wa forgives every other sin besides shirk. So Shaykh Shnaqiti asked this question here, is it the case then that they will actually see their actions or like the, the, the disbelievers will see the good deeds and the believers will see the evil deeds? How do we understand these verses? Because some these verses in Surah Zalzal are generic, but other verses seem to specify this. He gives a number of, of responses. One of them is that he says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, that they would see the actions, so the people who did good will see the actions that they that they did of good, were it not for the fact that Allah Azza wa Jal had made them rendered null and void. So the disbelievers, Allah is saying, they would have seen them, the good that they did, were it not that they were rendered null and void. And the disbelievers would have seen also the evil that they did, were it not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had forgiven for them. So what he's doing is he's, he's reconciling between the two, he's combining the two. So Allah Azza wa Jal is saying, yes, the general rule is that you see every atom of good and evil that you do, but the exception is that maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will render some of those actions null and void, and some of them Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive respectively for the believers and the disbelievers.
Another response that he gives is how to understand this is that the good that you see that Allah Azza wa is referring to, the good and the evil, is for both the believers and disbelievers. But as we mentioned, as some of the companions said, the good for the believer is what they see in the akhirah. And the difficulty that they see is in this dunya. And it's vice versa. It's the opposite for the disbeliever. The good that they see is in the dunya. The evil that they will find is on Yawm Al-Qiyamah in the hereafter. And the other one that he gives, or another uh, example, or the other response that he gives, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, is that Allah Azzawajal will allow everyone to see the good that they did and the evil that they did on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And then Allah will take away the good of the, of the disbelievers and take away the evil of the believers. So they will see it initially on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will show the disbelievers that because of their disbelief, the good that they did will be rendered null and void. And Allah Azza wa Jalla, out of his mercy and forgiveness for the believers that he chooses to forgive, will show them the evil deeds. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive them for those sins that they committed, those evil deeds that they committed in this dunya. And I think that that is something which is a nice way of, of concluding the surah. It gives us that understanding of the Quran. And the Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti in his tafsir often does this. And it's a very beautiful uh, science of tafsir or a concept or a, a, if you like, a tangent of tafsir that not every scholar of tafsir or many of the scholars of tafsir don't focus on. And that is when there are verses that sometimes apparently seem to contradict or sometimes there seems to be some type of conflict between them. And for those of you that attended my tafsir al-Jalalain, we, we did this on a number of occasions where I would ask questions and I would answer them concerning verses that sometimes seem to have some type of conflict in terms of their understanding or they don't seem to be uh, to, to, to reconcile one with each other, you'll find amongst the scholars with tafsir that Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah ta'ala is from amongst those scholars who spent a great time of, of uh, a great deal of time and effort in addressing those issues and in speaking about them and addressing them in his book of tafsir. May Allah Azza have mercy upon him and upon all of the scholars of Islam. And with that we come to the conclusion of the tafsir of Surah Al-Zalzala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who gives all tawfiq and success. I have a few questions here. If you have any questions, inshallah, please, um, uh, you know, please send them in. Uh, just to let you know, inshallah, ta'ala, next week we're going to continue at 8.30, but in two weeks' time, so on the 29th of September, inshallah, ta'ala, um, it's likely that we're going to change the time back to 8 o'clock UK time, so 8 p.m. UK time, which is half an hour earlier than where we're starting from now. Um, that's possibly going to be the case in two weeks. I will, inshallah, confirm that for you next week. But for next week, we're at the usual time of 8.30 UK time. Uh, Riaz asks, if I'm not mistaken, I think we did do verse number five. When the Sheikh defined the word waha, I don't know if that's in response to someone else. But yes, last week we did verses three, four, and five. بِأَنَّ um, رَبَّكَ was the verse that we stopped in. And then this week we continued uh, that. So I don't know if someone else had that question. I can't see it on my screen um but someone seems to have asked that question okay so um sumira is asking how does the grouping into two fit in with the verses in surah al-waqi'ah where we are told of the grouping into three the sabiqun that's a very good question so in surah al-waqi'ah allah tells us that there will be three groups those who will be at the forefront which are the sabiqun then the people of the right, Ashab al-Yameen, the people of the left, Ashab al-Shimal. Whereas in these verses and other verses, sometimes it seems to me that there will only be two groups. Allah Azza wa Jal says, Fariqun fil Jannah wa Fariqun fil Sa'ira, party in the fire and a party in paradise. And the way that we understand that, therefore, is that generically, generally, there will be two groups. And that is people of paradise and people of the fire. 
in Surah Al-Waqiyah, what Allah then is doing is taking the people of paradise and further subcategorizing them into two. The people who will be of the higher levels of Jannah and the people at the lower levels of Jannah. So there's no contradiction between the two. So where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about there being two groups in the Akhirah, it's referring to it in the general sense of the people who will be rewarded and punished, paradise and hellfire. And when there is the extra third group, that is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now further subdividing the people of Jannah according to their levels, those who will have higher levels and those who will have lower levels in Jannah and Allah Azza wa knows best. Uh, the second question that she has is, please could you explain again what Imam Al-Tabari was saying about the structure of the verses? So what Imam Al-Tabari is saying, if you look at verses 4 and 5, On that day Allah Azza wa says that the earth will give testimony. Verse number 5, because Allah commanded it to do so. In verse number 6, he says, take the ending of verse 6 and put it at the beginning. Why is the earth giving testimony? Why did Allah command the earth to give testimony? So that people may see the rewards of their deeds. They may see the consequences and the ramifications of their deeds. And when they do that, you will see that the people will be grouped. And their grouping will be the people of Jannah and the people of the fire. That grouping is based on what then? It's based upon their deeds. Right? It's based upon the deeds. So he says as if, and this is a very common uh, literary uh, use in, in the Arabic language. It's a very common uh, literary construct that they have, which is called taqdim al akhir which is sometimes what is mentioned at the beginning should be placed at the end of the verse and what is mentioned at the end is placed at the beginning. And that's understood by the meaning. Right? And the Arabs have this way, which is very, very common, very common and very, uh, very, uh, very, um, very regular in the in the Arab poetry and so on. Uh, a similar example to it is what we mentioned in again in Jalalain when we were speaking about Surah Al-Kahf when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in the story of Musa and Khadr salam when they're speaking about the king, the pirate king, right? and and Musa salam or Khadr salam is explaining at the end to Musa why he scuttled the ship. And the pirate king, when he goes onto the ship and he scuttles the ship, pulls up the planks and the water comes in. And Musa Ali says, why did you do this? These are poor people. Why are you damaging their ship? He says, وَكَانَ وَرَاءَهُمْ مَلِكٌ He says the word wara. Wara in Arabic means behind them. And behind them was the king. But actually, if you look at many of the works of tafsir, many of the opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir, especially classical mufassirin, is that the meaning of the verse is that in front of them was the king. So the king's not behind them chasing them. It's not like you know some kind of, kind of Hollywood movie where they're where they're trying to chase down a ship and so on. It's not, but they're going to pass by the king. They're going to cross paths with the king. The king is in front of them. Here means opposite, which means Imam. And that's also very, very common amongst the Arabs in the way that they sometimes use opposites. So they use the word, but actually what they mean is the opposite of the word that is being used. And that is an example that is given in the Quran. And so the opinion of the many, many of the scholars with the tafsir was that actually the pirate king was going to take the ship that they were afraid of wasn't behind them. They hadn't already passed him by and he was trying to chase them down, but it was in front of them. And that makes more sense even in terms of the of the structure of the verses and the context, because now they would come across that king. They would have to pass paths by that king and they had no way of avoiding that pirate king and he would take that ship were it not damaged. And Allah Azza wa knows best. So sometimes this is very common in Arabic language. And this is an example that Imam al says that this is uh, how the verse is. But again, this is just his opinion. Not every scholar of tafsir said this. Not every scholar of tafsir said that this is how you understand the verse. This is an opinion of Imam al-Tabari, and as we mentioned before, it's important to understand 
these different opinions and therefore the meaning of the verse still stays the same wherever you put that at the beginning at the end the meaning of the verses remains the same it's just so that he says so that it's easier to understand so that you understand the context of the verses completely and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best so inshallah ta'ala with that I think we will conclude barakallahu feekum ahsana ilaykum wa jazakumullahu khayran wa sallallahu ala nabina muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Thank <laughs> you.